Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's get into the Word. So we're going to go to 2 Peter together. The book of 2 Peter, we've been in our study. Uh, this is our third message together in, uh, in this book. And if you remember with me, this is written by the Apostle Peter. For all of the information that we have about Peter in the book of Acts and, and uh, of course, 1 Peter, it's interesting that he didn't write a whole lot. He, it, there's a lot of examples. There's a lot of people writing about Peter. Uh, but Peter himself didn't write a whole lot. We just have these two short letters but they are jam-packed with truth. And so I hope to look forward to, I look forward to, I hope to, uh, I look forward to sharing with you uh, this morning some of those truths today. Now, Peter's just getting started with this letter, and of course, he's writing to those that were scattered abroad, uh, those that were scattered uh, through persecution, uh, those that had been suffering because of their faith, and he's writing to them with some urgency because Peter is under the awareness that he himself or his time on this earth is actually running short. Just like any person that maybe uh, has a terminal diagnosis or someone that knows that their time in this life is maybe all not that long, he began to put a priority on communicating to those that he loved and cared about. Uh, just as if as parents, you know, we have limited time with our children, and uh, there's nothing that reminds you of that more than your children getting older, you know, and you're just counting down the years maybe to uh, the time that you have with them, and you begin to think more and more, uh, do I have enough time to train them uh, to be productive and God-honoring individuals? And Peter here knew that he had a limited amount of time, and so he wants to communicate these important truths from the Lord to not only those that he's writing to, but also to the generations to come, which involves us today, and I'm very thankful that he took the time to do this. And so as we approach our text this morning, I want to just approach it with the understanding that Peter recognizes that his time is short. He knows that he doesn't have all that much time to proclaim and to teach, and so there is a weight, there's a heaviness to the subject matter that he is covering this morning. And he's very clear in it, and we'll see as we begin in 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, and I'll begin reading in verse number 12. I'm going to read the first four verses of our passage today, and while I'm reading, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look for some repeating themes and for some repeating words. This is a very common way to approach Bible study, is to look for repetition within the passage that uh, is being emphasized in order to get across a specific point, okay? So you're with me today? I know some of you were up late serving just like I was, didn't get to bed till super late, and you're kind of tired, and you just sat down, and you're like, this is the first time I've rested in, uh, you know, 24 hours, now's not the time to go to sleep, okay? So I find there's a very helpful spot right behind the back of your knee. If you pinch it really good, it kind of helps keep you awake. And so uh, I do that often, uh, thankfully not while I'm up here, but I have done that before. Uh, but uh, all right, that'll help us. Okay, so let's get into it this morning. Verse number 12, are you ready? Verse number 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. He says, I think it means, I think it's important as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, 
to have these things always in remembrance. Now, did you see a couple of repeating themes there in that passage? The first one I want to draw attention to is he speaks about this tabernacle. He talks about putting off this tabernacle. Now, that is a metaphor, of course, that he is using to represent his physical body. So what's happening here is Peter is saying that there is a a time that is coming very soon where my physical body, my tabernacle, he calls it his tent, is uh, going to be uh, over with here in this life. He also mentions, I don't know if you noticed that, it says that even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, this is a throwback to John chapter 21, uh, verses 17 through 19, where Jesus alludes to the fact that he is going to be older and he's going to, not, and he's going to die, uh, but not at his own hand, by the hands of others. And so Peter here is very open about the reality about his short time. Twice he says here, my tabernacle is to be put off, I'm, uh, my time here in this life is not very long. But then he emphasizes another word three different times. Did anyone see that in those passages? Some of you are still staring at the screen trying to figure it out, right? I know we moved on to uh, the second two verses. But he uses a word here three different times in this passage, and he uses the word remembrance. Remembrance. Do you notice that? Verse 12, he says, I would not be negligent to put you in remembrance. Verse 13, he says to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And then in verse uh, 15, he says, I'll endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance remembrance. So here's what we have today. We have Peter trying to get us to remember some things. He says, I want you to remember some things that are imperative for the Christian life. And so the question is for us this morning is, what are those things? What are those, three, those things that Peter wants us to be reminded about? And why would he take the time to encourage us in this area of remembrance? Well, this morning in our passage, we're going to see three areas of remembrance Uh, that Peter is encouraging us with as we finish this first chapter of 2 Peter. I've got them here for you on the screen. You can write it down very quickly. First of all, he says, remember God's truth. Remember God's truth. Look back at verse number 12 and then verse 15. He says, I would not be negligent to put you in remembrance of those things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. You say, well, what, what things is he talking about? Well, we don't have to look very far. We just have to go back a couple of verses. And even to our study last week, as we read, that we are to add to our faith. You remember? And he gave us this list of items, this list of Christian characteristics that we are to add to our faith, that we're to be growing uh, in our faith. And the reason that we can grow those things, such as uh, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity and love, the reason that we can add all of those things is because of the fact that we have the knowledge of God that leads us to salvation. And for a person that is saved, what that means is that you then have a divine power from God. You are not divine, okay? As much as you think you look divine in the mirror in the morning when you get ready, you know, you are not divine, but you have a divine power, meaning there is something that is within you, the person that is saved. We, of course, know this as the Holy Spirit of God, and you have something that is unique, that is divine, that is within you, that then gives you the power to go through life, everything in life and everything for godliness. That's in verse number three. And so he's reminding us of that, and he's saying to you, I want you to be established in this present truth. Verse 15, he also says, I will endeavor that you be able after my decease to have these things that we've already talked about in remembrance. Now, there is so much power in remembering. There's so much power in remembering. All throughout scripture, if you just took a moment to sit down like I did this week and write down just a few areas of scripture where remembering is important, you would come up with an exhaustive list. 
Think about scripture, just even beginning uh, early on in the book. Remember how God sent a rainbow after the flood that destroyed the earth, right? What was the purpose of that? It was to remind us of a promise of God. Moses, of course, spoke to Israel after the Exodus, and he encouraged them to remember the things that God has done. Remember how God has provided for you. The law of Israel, of course, was, was given so that we might, might be reminded of, and the children of Israel would be reminded of, the promise. There were times where they piled stones as a purpose of remembering what God has done and God's deliverance for you, these stones of remembrance. Uh, there were times that David was in seasons of great distress, and even though he was uh, uh, distressed and at his wit's end and in sorrow and not knowing what to do, he would always say, but yet I am strengthened in God. I remember your promises. I remember uh, how you have been there for me in the past, and I remember that you're going to be there uh, for me right now. And so there's always this idea of remembrance, even in times of great sorrow and distress, that we return to remembering our God and remembering his truth. Jesus to his, his uh, well, let's not jump ahead to Jesus, let's stick with the prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Micah, all of those guys, what did they do? They preached a message of remembrance. Remember your God, return to your God. Often, of course, you know, they would come and they would uh, bring judgment upon the people of Israel, but in the moment of judgment, they would say, remember what your God has done for you. Remember how he has set you apart, how you're to be a chosen people, you're to be separate, you're to be different. And so he would remind them, those prophets would remind them about that. Jesus, of course, reminded his disciples much about the law, much about the promises of God, much of what God had done through great people in the Old Testament. Paul, of course, in all of his letters to the early church, uh, early churches wrote about remembrance. Jesus to the seven churches in Revelation there, those first uh, two, chapter two and chapter three, he reminded them much about their first love. He reminded them much about what they are to remember and what they are to focus on. And it's because there is great power in remembering. Why do you think your mom and dad said, remember, <laughs> brush your teeth? <laughs> Why do you think they said, remember whose child you are? <laughs> my parents said that a lot, actually. Remember whose child you are. You are God's child and you're my child. Remember that. And that kept me from a lot of things. <laughs> Why do they say that? Because there is great power in remembering. I think about Deuteronomy chapter 6, and uh, God, when he gave this command to Israel, he said to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The totality of your being, you are to love God. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. They're to be in your heart. And, he says, you are to teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when thou sittest in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when they'll rise up. What's the point? He's saying you are to be reminding your children. You're to remind the generation that is to come about the goodness and the grace of your God. You're to teach them what it looks like to love the Lord with all of who you are, your mind, your soul, and your spirit. You're to teach them that. Why? So that they would remember the goodness of God. This is what it's all about. It's about remembering the truth of God. And we must be people who are established in the truth. And I'm here to remind you today that Peter is reminding us that we, we must know the truth because it is the truth. Listen, it is the truth that will sustain you in the difficult seasons of life. It is the truth that will help you and keep you from falling. He mentioned that earlier in verse number 10, where he talked about it, that the knowledge of your salvation will help to keep you from falling, from straying. Now, if there's anyone who could talk about falling, it's Peter, isn't it? Right? I mean, Peter looked Jesus in the face, and Jesus, when he said, 
you're all going to betray me. You're all going to turn your back on me. Peter looked him in the face and said, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Absolutely not. I will never betray you. And then within hours, what is he doing? He is cursing and denying that he knows the Lord while Jesus is within earshot of him. That was one of the coolest things about Israel is to see the place where they believe Jesus was held. And it was, it was a typical Roman prison where they would lower someone down into a cave and the only access was by rope. And so there would be a hole about the size of a manhole cover and they would put that person down and they would lower them down and they would lower food to them. But often it was just literally in a public square. And that's what it was. And so when we hear about Peter sitting around the fire with other people and they're accusing him of being a follower of Jesus, he could have been within 15 or 20 feet of where Jesus was being held. And so that's why it says when he denied him, he heard and he saw and he knew that Jesus had heard what had just happened because it was right there. So this is Peter's experience. Think about it. This is Peter who walked with the Messiah, who walked with the Savior, who stood there and said, I will not ever deny you, and then he denies him. That's a bit of a fall, wouldn't you say? That's a bit of a fall from grace. That's a bit of a fall. That didn't cost him his salvation, but it was certainly an open sin. And so now we have Peter saying and talking about, listen, I don't want you to just say the right things, but I want you to be established and to know the truth and know the truth. See, Peter is not writing this because he wants us just to uh, know what to do with life. He's writing this for our benefit because he's saying, listen, I've lived the life of betrayal. I've lived the life away from God, and I don't want that for you. Some of you today, if I was to bring you up here and say, hey, tell us about your story, you would tell us some things that you would say, do not go where I went. And you would warn us, you say, listen, I've lived that life. I've tried that. I've done that. I've, I've tried to find, uh, uh, find completeness and wholeness in whatever it may be that the world offers. And you would say today, and you would get in front of us without shame, and you would say, do not go there. It is not fulfilling. And all of us would say, wow. And we would take that to heart. That's what Peter's doing here. Peter is saying, I've lived the life of betrayal. I've lived the life of turning my back on the Savior, even though he was right in front of me. Don't do it. How do we avoid that? Stay established in the truth. Know what truth is. Now, he's not just speaking without authority, though. You say, well, maybe, you know, Peter, I don't know. He was an ancient guy a long time ago. How do I really know what he says is important? Well, it's because he does speak with some authority, and he he brings it up here as we continue to remember God's glory. So he says, remember God's truth, okay? Just remember the fact about there is a God. He is real. He is (laughs) character. There's power in remembering. But then he also says, remember the glory of God. And he kind of gives us a parenthetical moment here where he kind of steps aside from the the subject at hand and he gives us a bit of his personal background. So notice in verse 16, he says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were, say this word with me, eyewitnesses. So he says, I'm not just coming to you and just telling you some really cleverly written story. (laughs) I wasn't sitting, you know, in my house one day and I was like, boom, (laughs) like this is the, I need to tell it, you know, like uh, hammering out this story about Jesus. No, no. He says, this is real. He says, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. I love how Peter is essentially saying, I'm not playing around. This is legit. This is real. I experienced this. And here in this statement, he is reminding us about the power and the glory of our God. At the same time, what he's doing is he's putting some false teachers in their place. Now, when we pick up this study in chapter number two, all of chapter two deals with false teachers. So if you're out there, beware, okay? (laughs) It's a joke, okay? Uh, All of chapter two deals with false teachers. And, uh, and we're going to look at Peter's rebuke to them. And so he's kind of setting the table a little bit for what is to come in chapter 2. Um, but there was a real problem with false teachers within the church and those that were scattered abroad falling into their influence or falling under their influence. And so Peter here, though, is coming up and he's saying, listen, there's some false teachers out there, but not a single one of them has been an eyewitness to, to what I've seen. So he's setting the table here. And even, like I said, in this sort of uh, parentheses, uh, this, this, this verses 6 through 18, he's, he's trying to bring up a thought. And it's this, that he's not just making up stories. He and his buddies didn't get together. And hey, we need to put out a novel, you know, that we can release on Kindle and, you know, see what kind of traction it gets. No, he says, these are things that I was an eyewitness of, not only the ministry of God. Because remember, at this point, there were a lot of people that had seen Jesus in his ministry. Still, when he's writing this, There were hundreds of people that we know, Scripture tells us, there were hundreds that had seen Christ, they had seen someone heal, that had seen his ministry, had seen the resurrected Christ. But what was different about him is that he says, I saw his majesty, I saw his glory, I saw his honor. Now this is unique right here. What is he talking about? Well, the backdrop for this statement is the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Now if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 17, this is uh, one of the three gospel accounts of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It was a unique and a very special moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The purpose of it was so that these men, these few chosen men, three, Peter, James, and John, actually caught a glimpse, just a glimpse, just a 0.05 0.05 percentage points, you know, of the glory and the majesty of God. I remember a few years ago, I went to a church and they had just gotten a new LED screen. Pastors like to talk about this kind of stuff. And I went to this church and they had these LED screens. And I'm not talking like our LED TVs, like those LED, like you see it like a, a, a big venue, you know, outdoor venue. And, and we went in there and I was like, man, these are bright. <laughs> like they were about 40, they was huge. I think it was like maybe 30 feet across, massive screens, beautiful, super expensive. And, uh, and I was like, they're like, it was distracting how bright they were. Like you're trying to look at the guy preaching and it's like, and your eyes are all crossing and you're having trouble focusing because they're so bright. And I said to the guy afterwards, I was like, bro, those are really bright. He's like, he's like, I know. He's like, we're trying to figure out. He's like, he said, that's 7% of its brightness. And I was like, uh, okay, because they're, they're meant for outdoors, right? That's what they're meant for. And, and it was, but it was still, in a room, it was so bright. Okay, so this is the idea here. The transfiguration of Christ is just a small pers- a glimpse of the glory of God, and Peter got to see it. Look at verse number one of uh, Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up unto a high mountain apart. 
And he was transfigured. There's a transformation that happened before them. And his face did shine as the sun. I don't know if you've ever tried to look at the sun. I can't do it for very long. He began to shine. And uh, his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias as Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and he touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down, verse 9, from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. There he prophesied again about his own resurrection. And he says, Don't tell anybody until I'm risen from the dead. Well, here's Peter telling us that he is truly risen from the dead. And he says, I got to experience his glory. I got to catch a glimpse of the glory of God where Jesus or God, uh, God was clearly affirming Jesus as the Messiah. He was revealing that he truly was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. And Peter got to see just a, a moment of it. And this was something that was pivotal in his mind and pivotal in his life. And it's something that's worthy of us remembering the fact that there are eyewitnesses to the glory of God, not just eyewitnesses to healings and eyewitnesses to other events, but there were three that saw the glory of God. And they spoke about it, and we get to read about that, and we need to be reminded that this is not a fairy tale. Peter saw God himself. He is real, and his truth is enough for you. I wonder, is God and his glory enough for you? Is he enough for you? Is, is Jesus, the glorified son of God, is he enough for you? See, that's the theme that we see all throughout this passage, and Peter is again emphasizing that, that there is this great glory of God that he was an eyewitness to, and we need to remember about it. And so we can rest then in the powerful Savior. We can rest in his truth, and we must never forget that we serve a risen Savior. And Jesus not only has power over sin and over hell, but he has given us all that we need. And we know that because his glory was revealed. So is Jesus remembering his glory, is that enough for you today? Is that enough for you? Peter says, you need to remember the glory. You need to remember what I've seen. I'm, th I'm thankful he told us about it. I'm thankful he didn't like, you know, forget. <laughs> he reminded us and said, hey, this is important. But there's a third thing that he wants us to remember, and he wants us to remember God's word. Remember God's word. Let's look at verse number 19 here in a moment. But, but before we get there, Peter is, of course, focusing our attention to remembering. And he does not want to end this discussion without bringing up the power of the word of God. That in a world that is full of chaos and confusion, there is something that is sure. There's a sure thing. Somebody once asked me, do you have a sure thing on some stocks I can buy? No. <laughs> But this is something that is sure. And this is what Peter is saying here. It is not of this world, but it is something that is a gift of God, and that is the word of God. Notice in verse 19, I love this verse. And we also have a more sure word of prophecy. 
Whereunto you do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The first thing we notice here is that Peter identifies something, get this, he identifies something that is more authoritative than his eyewitness account. Notice the, the wording here. He just said, I have seen the risen Savior, and not only that, I have seen him transfigured, I've seen a picture of his glory, his face shining as the sun, his raiment, I've heard the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, but we have something that is more sure. Think about that. I've seen all those things, but we have something that is even better. I have this sure word of prophecy. What an incredible claim. An incredible claim because uh, for us today, there is nothing more authoritative in our life than personal experience. Think about it. I mean, when somebody says, I was there, I saw it, you know, you're like, okay. That's an authoritative thing. But here, Peter indicates that a statement of eyewitness, a statement saying, I saw this, that in itself is limited. You say, well, why would he say that? Well, because here's what we know about our world today. We know that we have an adversary, the devil, Satan as described, who walks about as a roaring lion. He seeks whom he may devour. We all understand that. We're all like, boo, Satan, right? But he also portrays himself as an angel of light, doesn't he? And oftentimes, our adversary will do things and bring about circumstances and bring about experiences in people's lives to deceive them. He disguises himself as this angel of life, and scripture is proof enough that we find out that our adversary finds a way to get even into local churches to deceive and to confuse people. In fact, there are people that have some genuine experiences that may not be of God. You say, how could you say that, pastor? That's not very kind of you. It's a reality, because scripture tells us, more sure word, right? That it is possible. And so, in all of the subjectiveness of our world, there must be something that is objective, and Peter tells us what it is, and that is the constant of Scripture, and how scriptural authority, the sufficiency of Scripture, is a higher plane of authority than personal experience. I don't want you to miss this today, guys. This is really, really important. Scriptural authority overcomes personal experience. And if personal experience cannot be verified with the authority of Scripture, we need to be careful about that. Man, this week I had a conversation. Um, I, the word, the only word I can think of to describe the conversation is distressing. Um, I was at a coffee shop in our neighborhood and I was, I was studying for Sunday and I was working, I was reading this passage. And uh, somebody that I've, I've gotten to know and kind of in the neighborhood gotten connected with um, who, you know, who claims Christ and goes to a local church um, sat down and we started talking and, and uh, they're struggling uh, a little bit and, and their church is struggling uh, to find a pastor and, um, you know, I was telling them about what God has done here and providing for us and how God is just blessing and and so excited about those following the Lord in baptism and all of these good things, you know. I mean, there's a lot to praise God for, isn't there? And uh, as Christians, we should focus on the positive things. That's what God wants us to do, keep our eyes above, right? And keep looking at him. And so I was sharing what was going on, and they were like, man, that's amazing. And, 
And, and they asked me this question, um, you know, how do you as a pastor, how have you, this is what they said, how have you kept on pastoring? Why haven't you quit? This is the question they asked me. Why haven't you quit yet? Because <laughs> uh, he said he knows a lot of pastors that have just walked away, um, especially during COVID, you know, all of that. There's a lot of challenges there, certainly. How is it that you've kept on going? And, and I just said to him, the only thing I could think of, I was thinking about this message, and uh, this is why it's great to be in the Word, because God gives you answers from what you're reading, what you're studying for that moment. And I said, well, um, I said, because I believe that the truth of the Word of God needs to be preached. And God has a calling in my life. He hasn't changed that calling, and the calling is to preach the Word. And I believe that our neighborhood and our city needs to hear the truth of the Word of God. I believe that with all my heart. And I said, because it's the truth. I didn't say it like that. I wasn't like, truth. <laughs> I said the truth. It was a nice conversation. And immediately when I said that, after I finished kind of saying, this is what I believe, this is what our church is doing, and this is what I want us to be identified as, he said, what do you mean by truth? And I said to him, well, I mean the scripture, authoritative truth of scripture. Uh, to which he began to then proceed to tell me how he felt that scripture was not authoritative for the, our culture today. That scripture was subjective to time and to culture. And he literally stated to me that the word of God is not enough. We need extra biblical revelation to live today, is what he said to me. Which is amazing to me that someone would trust in an extra biblical revelation rather than what we already have revealed to us from God himself. It's also subjective. If you're to claim that this is subjective, for you to say that someone else's subjective <laughs> revelation is true, that's also subjective. Does that make sense? If you need to look up subjective, look up that word, okay? <laughs> and Man, it bothered me. It bothered me because this is a church that, uh, that I know well, and at one time preached the gospel I went and I looked at their posting for a local pastor. I shared it with Levi. I said, in case you want to. <laughs> and in the job description, and listen, folks, like, um, it, it's, it, this burdens me because this is indicative of our society and many of the local churches in Vancouver. By the way, we're not the only ones doing it right. Understand that, okay? We're not the only ones preaching the gospel. There are a lot of great churches in our city preaching the gospel. But there's a lot that are not. And the reason is, is that they do not believe that scripture is enough. And in the, the qualifications or they're looking for a person to be pastor, it said a percentage base of the workload. 40%, 40%, and 20% of what was important to this church. Guess what the 20% was? Teaching the Bible. In a space that is open for questioning. That is a worldly philosophy. It is ungodly. It is in direct violation of Scripture. <laughs> it is in violation of Scripture and... It is not the temperament of a spirit-filled person. We have a more sure word. Amen. We have the word of God today. Amen. That's why he says, take heed. Notice that. Take heed. 
We have a more sure word. Take heed. Why? It's like a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He describes scripture here as something that is a light that shines in a dark place and it's going to continue to shine until the day dawns. That's the return of Jesus Christ. And so until the day that Christ returns and there's this renewal of earth and of mankind, that we need to pay attention to this because it is our light. Man, take just a look at a few verses just in Psalm chapter 119, which I've been reading through this week. Uh, I just very briefly walked through, and I missed a bunch, I'm sure. Uh, But in verse 2, blessed are they which keep his testimonies that seek him with the whole heart. Verse 10 and 11, with my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments for therein do I delight. Verse 97, oh how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. We could go on and on, but Peter's point is that we have a more sure word. That means it is strongly confirmed. It is the light by which you should live your life. And it isn't just because Peter said so, but it's because of its source. In verse 20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time. Okay, what he means by that private interpretation is that there is a key that unlocks the interpreting of scripture, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit of God in us takes the word and it illuminates us. That's why when somebody says to me, I've read the Bible all the way through and I don't believe that Jesus was God, they don't have the Holy Spirit of God within them, okay? I've had people say me that uh, say that they've rejected religion, they've rejected God, and they say, I have read the Bible, and I, okay, they have not truly read the Bible, okay? But the Spirit of God illuminates that within us. And so he says it's not of any private interpretation. God's involved in the process. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is a powerful passage on the true source of revelation, the infallibility of Scripture. If we do not have this truth, then our faith is nothing at all. Understand, it is what we base our lives upon. Peter gives us the process of revelation uh, and understand he's speaking about, of course, uh, he did not have the completed canon of Scripture, the New Testament at this point. In fact, he's writing part of it. So he's speaking of the prophets and those that were before. But the principle still applies to us today that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. In 2 Timothy, it tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration. That's that word, moved. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It continues that we might be made perfected in Christ. And so here's what we understand about the word. God used the talents and the education and the uniqueness and even the cultural background and where they were of those that were writing scripture. Now, they were not taking dictation, understand. Some people are like, they were like, next, you know, what next? God, it's a unique aspect where it says that God breathed in them. The Holy Spirit of God breathed and moved in them, and they wrote what God desired for them to write, and he revealed himself and his plan to those who wrote his message for his people. And here's what is so great about the process of inspiration. And we could take, and we have taken entire times talking about inspiration, but here's what's so great about it. It makes scripture trustworthy, Because God is the one who wrote it, not these people. 
40 different authors over a spread of 1,500 years, and we have a unified gospel. You do that today, it ain't happening. If I get five of you in a room and say, hey, write about a subject, it's going to be crazy. (laughs) It's going to be all over the place. And this speaks to the inspiration. This speaks to the power of God that was involved in the process, meaning it is then trustworthy. It is accurate. It is authoritative for our faith and for our lives. And through the knowledge of the scriptures, we then are able to see and to recognize what is true. You can say, this is true. The word, Jesus Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. How do we learn about him? How do we learn about the Father? Through his word. It is authoritative. It is what we need. And Peter is saying to us this morning, remember, 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 remember. You need these things. The question is, are you remembering today? Do you remember? Do you remember the truth of our God? Do you remember the glory of our God? You say, I don't really, that one's harder for me to relate to. Have you ever just sat for a moment and just basked in the glory and awesomeness and power of our God? If you would just take a moment and think about your life, consider how God has guided you, how he has provided, how he's walked with you, you can't help but be in awe of his glory and the fact that he loves you and he gave himself for you and he cares about you and he's all that you need. And we must remember that scripture is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is a clear directive for how we can face this life. And as Peter said way back in verse number three, the knowledge of God is given unto us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through his divine power. We came to know Christ through his word. The word led us to salvation. It told us that we needed to be baptized. And it also is enough for today. And I got to tell you, Yes, our culture is very different than 2,000 years ago. But you can find the answers for today's culture right here. Don't, Don't let people deceive you. There's a lot of people that are out there that say we need to, even some well known YouTube preachers saying that we need to disconnect from certain portions of scripture. We need to redefine. We need to have spaces for questioning. We need to have this place to redefine what truth is, redefine how the church is to approach culture in light of scripture and personal experience. Be very aware of that. Be very aware of that. You know, scripture says that your heart can be deceived. Did you know that? You ever been deceived before by yourself? Have your thoughts ever deceived you? Some of you are laughing quite loudly right now. (laughs) Yeah. Be careful. I know it's October. I'm not trying to scare you, okay? (laughs) But we have a more sure word. Man, it grieved me. That conversation grieved me. And I I hope to spend some more time with them. But we don't need spaces to redefine. We have the truth. We have the truth, and it can be trusted. And isn't that great? Because there's so much in this life that cannot be trusted. (laughs) There's a lot of things you can't trust, but you can trust the Word, and you can trust our Savior. 
We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.